He is risen. Sorry. Sorry. I couldn't help myself. So, <clears throat> first, apologies for the delay in this. It's been in the hopper ready to be recorded, but life happened. I have been distracted and busy with the stress of uncertainty in the world around us. I have been shrinking into an ever more tightly constrained ball of anxiety. And then I caught COVID. And then life happened when I no longer had COVID. Again. So, I am sorry that this took so long to get to you, mea culpa. <clears throat> so, welcome. This episode is about space. Insert popular science fiction television series joke here. Allow me, if you will, to preface this episode by saying that the following views are largely informed by my own understanding of spatial relationships, which exist within my own polytheistic revivalist framework. Unlike previous declarations that I have made, or will make in the future, episodes like the one on piety, the notions of what constitutes sacred space, are ill-suited to sweeping statements because it's very much associated with subjective phenomenology. No true one-size-fits-all approach exists, and individual religions, like their practitioners, will have their own ideas as to what constitutes an importance of ritualistic space. There are always exemptions to any rule, even in solidly cohesive religious traditions, but my views on sacred place are ultimately influenced by classical Roman conceptions of what constitutes and delineates sacro-religious space, how that space interacts with objects, with personhood, and with divine agency. It makes sense to me. It extends across the numerous instances of polytheistic worship which I adhere to, but it is still only one of several valid views on the subject. The understanding of the sacred of space that is commonly spread among many polytheists is necessary for this discussion. Anyone who is familiar with uh, Mircea Eliade's cosmological outlook should understand that the importance of the demarcation of space as it is related to the manifestation of hierophany or theophany, if you prefer. I heartily disagree with Eliade's ultimate categorization of the terror of history and that the events of humanity have no intrinsic religious value. But despite this, the sacred profane dichotomy is ultimately one of the most important basic notions of religious understanding. It's a notion that's been disseminated through the fields of religious studies, even though Iliad himself can't really be credited with the origination of the idea. He really promoted it and worked with it until the end of his career. Sacred space is understood to be a space that acts as a centrality for communal and cosmological purposes. It serves ultimately as a locus of power for something beyond the ordinary. It's typically, but not always, understood to be something that is set apart and distinct, arising 
notably from combinations of architectural or structural forms and layouts, which ultimately serve to visibly other the sacred site from any notable or mundane counterparts. And because there are always exceptions to the rules, it can sometimes be coterminous with mundane space. I want to avoid venturing down this point too far because Western polytheists are used to treating sacred space in a simpler form because we're collectively relearning a mindset that has been run roughshod over for centuries, either due to Christianity or just secularism. And too many avenues of discussion can dilute the core of the statement that I want to make, that sacred space is intrinsic and special in our religions, despite how it is carefully nuanced and how it exhibits itself in various forms. No short discussion or podcast episode can do it justice. Suffice to say that the sacred profane dichotomy, especially one as universally described as concretely as Iliade does, cannot be consistently applied to all space. Polytheistic experiences requires an acceptance of both substantial and situational space. Anyway, so why space? Why such an emphasis on three-dimensional locations and on the place within these polytheistic revivals? Historic pagan conventions of divinity are intrinsically tied to location, regardless of intentional construction or natural occurrence. Their qualities of non-observation notwithstanding, the gods are first and foremost beings of this world, and they have defined places within it. They move freely throughout it, and they experience space. As practitioners, we appear naturally drawn to places with characteristics that we associate with the divine. These locations are where the interface between humanity and the numinous can occur, but a survey shows that these places are tied to spatial considerations and the demarcation thereof, and it is within those spaces that the manifestation of divinity is most likely to occur. From sacred groves recorded in sources like Tacitus, to enormous temple complexes with numerous divine cella, to household sites of worship, the tomb, and contemporary makeshift flash shrines that periodically crop up in places like the subways, people are drawn to spaces that serve as locations to experience otherness. This sense of liminality, where the profane gives away to the sacred, is an important feature of the human religious experience. Paganism, in this sense, is the ultimate religion of place. Situated in a confluence where humanity orients itself in regards to spatial phenomena, and then it performs a recitation of significant action within a ritualistic context. The importance of space in a sacral-spatial relationship can best be shown in the contrast of spatial foci and the iconographic focus, uh, a statue, for example. Sylvia Estienne said that it is not so much the statue that marks the cult place, but but rather the place that marks the statue as a cultic object. Space is unambiguous, especially in comparison to iconography. Icons and statues and representations of deity can always be seen as a mere decoration, and no one iconographic focus can religiously function in an independent position 
outside of the spatial context which it is placed. It's the space which confers sanctity and sacredness to the icon. The obvious problem of interpreting space in this way is that it privileges civic representations of religion over that of domestic cult. Temples and sacred sites are clearly identifiable through architectural and monumental material remains. They're also clearly identifiable to modernists who lack the contextual clues and the importance of those religious clues through the loss of time, and they often incorrectly assume a greater emphasis on and expend a greater effort of study in understanding the context of these larger structures and how they fit into the wider religious lens, and it's something that gets lost with the domestic. We shouldn't forget that the temple as a complex itself was originally, and I'm talking 10th century BCE Greece here, it was originally an extension of the home. The civic temple and the civic sacred space was ultimately built on that of the domestic. And I don't blame anyone who yearns for a visible external temples or places of worship or who focuses more on the desire to build up that civic infrastructure over the humdrum of the monotony of the mundane. And I think it actually highlights my point rather well that places appeal to our sense of otherness and sacredness where we can collectively step away from the mundane and enter into a state that is visibly and tangibly distinct from that of the day-to-day. But I do feel a number of polytheistic pagans in this desire for external sites are captivated by the romanticism of elaborate temples and elaborate sacred space and miss the importance of the space of the domicile or other mundane locations, especially especially in the beginning. Taking a lot of time for the idea of codified domestic practice to gain currency among some revivalist religions, and I'm looking at you, heathenry. After all, Cicero asserts that the house is holy. It is holy not due to a consecration through purposeful intention, but it's through religious action by those within the building itself that are carried out with piety and religious intent that makes the house holy. These actions interact with spaces which were undeniably sacred. Specifically, he writes, what is a sanctum to a higher degree, what more protected by every religious practice than that of the house of each one of the citizens? Here we find in one and the same place the altars, here the hearths, here the household gods, here the cults, religious practices, and the ceremonies. This place of refuge is so much a sanctum for everyone that it is not permissible to tear anyone away from his house. Iliade would concur, where each house is tied to the center of the world. Each domicile is as geographically close to the axis mundi as possible. It's as close to the divinity as humanly possible. In these contexts, the holy space of the house is actually imago mundi. It's a reflection and an image of the center of the universe. The hearth is portrayed historically as the very center, which is the beating heart of the sacred space, the ignis communis. But other features of the home are likewise important. Intersections of the walls which form corners, the roof, the threshold, cupboards, other constituent pieces of the home can all and do have sacral spatial value, be that value sacrificial, liminal, or apotropaic. I find sacred space where I find people, 
although I'm not going to deny the sacral value of entirely untouched natural wonders. But this is clear if anybody has read any of my older works where I write about how the visible boundaries between entities that have been erected by people over the years have always stood out to me, or the markers that are afforded by roads and stone fences which demarcate one thing from the other. And where there is space occupied by people, there are sacred sites and shrines and evidence. It further reinforces the importance of the area. Workshops and markets and apartment complexes and baths and other social sites, sites of economic activity, of government, of personal agency are all represented historically with having religious value. And there are even wooden travel shrines and altars which have survived from Herculaneum indicating the likelihood of portable places which serve as a focus, a spatial focus for worship. So pocket shrines and mint tins aren't so aberrant now. Sacred space is thought to be something that is irrevocable or grandiose or at the very least immovable. It's a temple is a temple, a shrine is a shrine, and the many natural wondrous sites of the world exist and hold an intrinsic and immutable divinity that were associated with them. I've run across this unspoken idea that nothing contemporary pagans can collectively do would ever match the religious monumental importance of something like an organized priesthood or something that was supported through state-sanctioned funding or developed through an extended length of religious tradition. Yes, but actually no. Spatial foci were not irrevocably fixed, especially in the early days of these municipal religions, something which is especially true of the augural period of Rome. Existing foci could be vacated through formal religious rites, relocating the sacred site of the deity to another space. That is, if the deity willed it. Cato and Varro and Dionysius and Livy all mentioned that the deities of Terminius and Juventus, and quite possibly Mars himself, had resisted being removed from the Capitoline Temple, which explains this as the reason for their continued presence in cultic space of the rededicated, reestablished sacred site. And the fluid nature of the space is best described to be a pivoting of the sacred, something Arnold van Gennep presents it as. The sacred space can coalesce into in any place that becomes, even if temporarily, a site for intensive religious interpretation. So there's this historic idea of a transient sacredness that can offer modern paganism with its similar themes of transience a framework to work within. The idea that the sacred can move, can change, can be created or destroyed quickly is one of our only benefits as modern polytheists in a theological sense. Humanity has the ability to engage in heriotrophy, the creation of this sacred space, which can offset the lack of any social capital, which, let's be honest, many contemporary Western polytheists don't have. So the lack of social capital or overzealous neighbors, 
where the gods damned AFA and their absolute nonsense garbage poisoning of the idea of what pagan sacred site is, the simple fact is that the wider pagan public is unable to engage with centralized sacred sites. Few are established, and mass engagement with that space is difficult. Acclimating to these conditions through the establishment of semi-temporary ephemeral sites of worship in order to engage with our myriad acts of religious ritualism and praxis is one such way which we can move forward as a collective whole. Our daily and most easily accessible spatial foci are as transient as we are, as flash shrines like the one that had been previously erected in New York subway are proof positive of. The groups of people in our position can circumvent social pressures or expectations to conform to an overarching populist idea of religion. Just as humanity can defile through pollution, so too does it create sacred space through intentional cultivation. Western polytheism is already subversive to notions of monotheistic secularism that have been long established, either with the enshrinement of Christianity or of Christian-adjacent views as the accepted and de facto religious expression, where all others are either warped or shied away from in the public sphere. And we need to collectively temper the expectations of what shared or available pluralistic space entails, while at the same time working towards the day in which we can realize those desired outcomes relating to sacred space. The lack of any identifiable external foci shouldn't dissuade contemporary practitioners because there have been antecedent views that support these. Our rites and rituals are intrinsically tied with the ebb and flow of daily life, and while paganism and its contemporary derivations are the ultimate religion of place, I would argue that it is the place in which the pagan finds themselves. In this understanding, space both informs and is informed by religious ritual, in a symbiotic relationship that serves to translate the divine to its practitioners. Reappraising sacred space and the importance of the space itself informing the sacredness of our works and providing that area for our rituals has helped me personally revisiting and reimagining or trying to figure out how I can get away from popular conceptions of what my sacred space should be has led me down this path and maybe one day we'll have our temples and our holy groves and our nymphaeums but as the saying goes Rome wasn't built in a day so I'll try to be back a bit more than I have been, both here and in my blog. I'm sorry if this feels like it was cut too short. Uh, I wanted to get you guys something, and the gears are already spinning, but maybe I'll figure out how to end a podcast episode better. Who knows? Uh, thanks a lot for any support or anybody who's still listening. I hope that this surprises you, and have a good time.